You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. All right. Thank you for giving and thank you for being here this morning. It is my privilege this morning to introduce to you our speaker, our guest sermon expert, and we'll get there in just a moment. But let's just remind ourselves where we've been the, the past few weeks. We introduced the series, My Big Mouth, and remember, it's each of ours. It's not our neighbor. It's not our spouse. It's not our boss. It's our big mouths, each of us. And we've said along the way, it starts with this idea of being quick to listen and say it with me, slow to speak. That's good. You guys are catching on. You're slow to speak. And today we're going to take another step on that. Uh, last week we looked at the idea of complaining and criticism and how important it is that we are not filling our lives with these things. It's not Christ-like. Instead, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and we need to be aware of the way we use our words. Words are important, aren't they? Absolutely. So when we first started talking about this series, I worked with a gentleman. His name is Rocky Nichols, and I know some of you know him. He's one of our connect group leaders. Him and Pam do a wonderful job. Their home is beautiful in Grand Haven. If you're looking for a great connect group, you ought to connect with him. But uh, he's also not only one of our connect group leaders, he has been a coach to me and to the staff for the past well, I don't know, seven or eight weeks since we've been in this building. We knew we were going to go live with Facebook Live, and we asked him to step in and help us to grow in our presentation. You say, well, why is that? Well, Rocky is a Toastmaster, and he's not only a local Toastmaster, he is a Toastmaster that has gone all the way to the national level and has competed and has won, and he's an incredible speaker, very eloquent speaker. And he is, he's been a great blessing to us. The other thing you need to know is that Rocky, at this point in his life, 60, I think, and maybe he'll tell you how old he is, although I just let it slip. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, but at 60 years old, he's feeling a stirring inside of his heart to be in full-time ministry, to be a pastor. Isn't that cool? How God can do that, and uh, even in your old, old, old age. <laughs> just kidding, Rocky. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. But anyway, but we. So he. So he was helping us with this series, and I said, "Hey, you ought to take one of the weeks and give him a shot." And now preaching is different than speaking, like in a competitive way. We understand that. So we're gonna give him lots of grace today. But I'll tell you. Your hearts should be open, and we're believing that the Holy Spirit is going to use our friend Rocky Nichols. So without further ado, come on up. Uh, we want to welcome Rocky Nichols. Rocky Nichols extraordinaire. And as he's coming, I forgot to say one thing, Rocky. We, Some of us are taking the rubber band challenge, and we are snapping ourselves when we get our big mouths in trouble. And we want to continue that idea. And with this, the whole idea is when the Holy Spirit 
reminds us like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Or even before you say something, snap yourself. And we've got rubber bands in the lobby if you would like to grab one after the service. Let's give it up for Rocky one more time. Love you, man. Well, thank you, Pastor Ben, again for that larger-than-life buildup. I think you might need to snap your wrist right now. <laughs> that was so good, I can't wait to hear myself speak. <laughs> well, again, as I said this morning, I wasn't prepared for the baptismal. I think that's pretty cool that we have baptisms today. Because as I think about it, about 20 years ago, I went through this same act. And as a believer, got baptized. And for those who, are, who were baptized, that was a milestone for me. I had already been a believer. But at that point, there was a mark in the sand where I was going to be more focused on my Christian life. I hope the same goes for you. Similarly, there's another mark in the sand today as this being the first time I give a sermon, actually the second, but the first day that I actually give a sermon. This morning, when I first started, Will, wherever you are, you're not the only person who has speaker anxiety here today. Although my anxiety is perhaps behind me from the first service, now I'm hoping my voice hang, you know, lasts because I just spoke more words in that last sermon than I did or normally do in a whole week, if you know me. <laughs> but even worse, that was, that was the short sermon. So I spoke for an hour there. This is the long one. <laughs> okay, just kidding. <clears throat> Today is St. Patrick's Day. I don't pay much attention to that, although I should because my mother was Irish. So I, there's a connection there. But this is a good analogy to what we're getting into because we're talking about myth, myths, truths, or lying. So I did a little research on St. Patrick. St. Patrick was a godly man. But how many of you know that over time, some of these larger-than-life figures have histories that build up, build up, and become myths? So I don't want anything to be said against St. Patrick being a godly man. But there is a myth that I'm very familiar with that I think we need to address. The story goes that, well, Saint, the myth is that St. Patrick drove all the snakes out of Ireland. I'm interested in animals. That got my attention. So I did the research. There's really only one native reptile, and that's a little ground lizard. There's a few sea turtles that swim around the island, but they never get on shore. Their history shows there has never been a snake on the island of Ireland. So we can tell right there that that's not exactly true. And the story is that St. Patrick spent 40 days fasting and praying on a hillside. When he ended that fast, he gave a sermon that drove those snakes out of the island and into the water, and they never returned. Hypothetically, 
had he given that sermon, they couldn't have driven the snakes away, even if they were there, because snakes don't have ears. I checked. <laughs> they have a mouth, they have a nose, they have two little beady eyes, but nothing but tail all the way back. So we start out with kind of a mild lie. It's a mistruth. What we're going to look at today is what is a lie? Where did lies begin? How do we, how do we be guilty of lying? What should we do about it? Perhaps the most important point. When was the last time you told a lie? Now, don't think too far back to your childhood, unless, of course, you are a child. But we trivialize lies. They're just words. They can't hurt anybody. I used to come home from school when I was younger crying because the kids would pick on me. And mom would say, sticks and stones will hurt your bones, but words can never hurt you. Physically, sticks and stones can hurt you. But I will tell you that words can also be devastating. They were for me. I like to read the Webster's Dictionary. I'm kind of an oddball. But I would tell you, if you're ever in an antique store and you can find one of the really big first or second editions and you got the money to buy them, I happened to get one at a state sale for 25 bucks. Webster was a godly man, and he used a lot of ref Bible references in his definitions. And it is very interesting to look through that and read it. But Webster says this, a lie is a falsehood uttered or acted for the purpose of deception. Uttered or acted for the purpose of deception. An intentional violation of the truth. An untruth spoken with the intention to deceive. Keep that in mind. We're going to address that later. The Bible references it in Exodus as the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. And it gets a little bit more cutting in Proverbs 6 where we see the seven sins that God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Now those three are significant because as I was reviewing this, those are the first three sins ever committed. Satan fell from heaven because he was proud. Satan lied to Eve. And Cain killed Abel. The first three sins in the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's really significant theologically. I believe it is. It is significant to me. We go on... A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet swift to run into mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. A second reference to it. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Whenever the Bible repeats something in the same, in the same paragraph or the same verse, God's really trying to get our attention. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Whatever else beyond that is from the evil one. Speak the truth. Fundamentally, honesty is the virtue of the Christ follower. Lying is just the opposite of that. 
Now, remember when we were kids? Thank you again. Happened in the first service. When we were kids, of course, we weren't all kids at the same time, but at some time, we were all kids. We heard Bible stories. I got to believe in this country, everyone at some point heard Bible stories. And I often go back to those fundamental truths that we find in those simple, simple stories. Some of my favorites are the Tower of Babel, the Red Sea crossing, Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace, Jonah and the great fish. We often hear it's Jonah and the whale. And if you look at the books, they always got the big googly eyes and the dopey looking whale. It makes it easier to believe a man could be swallowed by a whale than by a fish, but there are fish that can swallow humans. And one of my old pastors said something like this, that even if it, the Bible said that Jonah had swallowed the whale, I would still believe the Bible. Noah's Ark, who can not forget that one? But again, we got this trivial tippy boat with the giraffe and the elephant sticking out because there's not enough room. Probably wasn't that way. Joseph in the coat of many colors. I thank my dad for never giving me a coat of many colors. I was already an oddball in the family and in other, other parts of society. I didn't need any help to push me over the edge, so thank you, Dad. Moses and the Ten Commandments, and I always think of Charlton Heston. That was a man's man. And I know my boys are going to say, don't do this, Dad, but... He had a bit of a backslide when he, has anyone watched the movie Soylent Green? Oh, one brave person? Oh, man. Oh, two. All right, let's stop it there. You don't want to go back to it. It was really the low point of his career. The plagues of Egypt. And if there were a favorite plague, if that's possible, mine was the frogs. Frogs would not have bothered me at all. Love frogs. Still do. And you'll hear more about that in a moment. But we get back up to the, to the foundational stories of the creation, the Garden of Eden, and the fall with the serpent. So what was the Garden of Eden like? When we try to imagine things that we don't know about, because we really don't know much about the Garden, we reference them to things that we are familiar with. If you're a vegetable gardener, you love to grow vegetables in your backyard, I would believe that likely your Garden of Eden had a few tomatoes and squash and beans in it. If you're a farmer, perhaps those vegetable plants were in rows. If you're a flower lover, I got to believe there was lots of flowers, orchids, I love that bird of paradise looking thing. Never mind. Or if you're an outdoorsman, you might think of it more as a rainforest or a jungle. I'm torn between two perceptions. I have this mystical one and I have a more practical one. On the mystical side, I see this deep dark rainforest with gigantic old growth trees. Spanish moss hanging from the limbs, vines twisting around, colorful birds, perhaps a 
stream flowing through it. Maybe a little bit of fog to keep the mystery there. On the practical side, I have a vision that is much more representative of Gilligan's Island. But if you think of it, Gilligan's Island was a paradise. Beautiful clean sand, tall palm trees just gently moving in the breeze because they never had any bad weather. Laying in a hammock, sipping coconut juice, eating exotic fruit the whole time. But if you're a guy, the best thing of all about being on Gilligan's Island, three years and 98 episodes wearing the same shirt and pants. That's paradise. The true account is far different than both of these because we really don't know much about the garden other than it was bounded by rivers and in the middle there were two features. Somewhere in the middle of that garden was the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God instructed Adam and Eve to never touch or eat from the garden or from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We don't know how long they had lived in the garden. Perhaps, I doubt days, but maybe weeks, months, maybe even years. Scholars tend to look at perhaps a few years that they were there before this encounter occurred. And in Genesis 3, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord, the Lord had made. Now the word crafty there does not mean Hobby Lobby. Crafty is an old term about how good you are at what you do. It might be making crafts, but it also might be deceit. The serpent was crafty at deceit. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they realized they were naked. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Imagine that. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. We must not allow him to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And God banished them from the Garden of Eden. 
God ejected them permanently from the garden, and he placed a sword in front of it to prevent their access. And we can easily look at this story and think that God was perhaps mean or unjust. But when you understand the truth of it, you can appreciate God's grace and mercy. You see, the tree of knowledge of good and evil opened their eyes to the mind and minds to sin, but had they eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived, to, lived forever in that sin. By preventing them from eating of that tree, he also prevented them from living eternally in their sin. And God, in his grace and mercy, prevented that and provided a way to eternal life without sin through his son, Jesus. Lies seem to be so insignificant, but the results can be devastating. Look at our world today from that simple little insignificant lie. You might ask now, did God lie? Because he said that they would die, but she still lived. But man became mortal. Adam and Eve died spiritually. And what the Jewish rabbis believe is that the Shekinah glory that once covered the earth in this perfect paradise was removed. And if you've ever experienced Shekinah glory, which I doubt any of us have, to have it removed perhaps would be just like death. When I was in seventh grade, I had a friend named Tom. Tom was a rather mischievous character. That's why I liked him. I hung around with Tom too often, and we got in trouble. One particular day, we were messing around in the back of class, and the teacher caught us and said, okay, you two are going to stay after class. All right. But then later, I thought, hey, cool, because after class, we're supposed to go to the church to catechism. Now, for those of you who don't know, catechism was the study of church history and doctrine. It was not real exciting, didn't like it, plus this church was all, all stuffy down in the basement. So I thought this was good. We'll just sit in the back of class after school and we'll read some books. School ended, we sat in the back of the class. Somehow, the teacher got wind of our having to go to the catechism class, and she said, you guys didn't tell me about this catechism class you had to go to. That right there was a lie of silence. By not telling her about that, I was actually lying. Well, we had to go, and she said, tomorrow you'll serve your hour after school anyways. So we didn't get out of anything. So our school was on this farm field area, and you walked up the hill, and here was the church. But if you went a little longer route, you could make it down into the swamp where all the frogs were doing what frogs do in the springtime. Lots of frogs on the edge, on logs, and we got down there and was just trying to find frogs and catch them, and they're not really easy to do. At one point, Tom said, hey, look at that one out on that log. It's dead and sun-bleached. It was all white. I thought, that's interesting. So we wanted to go get this frog, and, you know, guys, young boys, kind of like dead things. I don't know why. But we were going to get this dead frog. 
as we got closer on the different logs that we had to crawl across, it jumped into the water. It wasn't a dead frog. It was a live albino frog. Like one in a million. And most of them get swallowed up when they're pollywogs. So we were intent on catching that frog. We spent a lot of time, but as you know, they burrow down in the weeds and you can't get them. And finally, we gave up. We better get the catechism because, whoa, we're already late. We went up the hill, walked into the church, down into the basement, slowly opened the door, and there was Reverend Dornboss. Now, he was not a stiff, stern man. He actually was a very loving, godly man. And growing up in that church, I had no relationship with any of the pastors, but when he came in, I did. I had trust, I had respect, and it went both ways. Really loved that guy. And I thought, I'm really hurting him by being late. And he says, why are you guys late? I looked at Tom. He wasn't going to say anything. Well, because we had to stay after class. It wasn't really a lie. We did. He said, is that the full reason why you didn't make it here on time? Yeah, we had to stay after class. That's when the real lie happened. And I don't know if he could read it on my face, probably, or it was the mud on my shoes, but I could see he didn't believe me. But because of my pride, I was not going to admit it. I wanted him to think that I was this really good kid. But that lie lasted throughout my life. I never forgot that. I never made it right with him. And to this day, I have remorse that I never did. How often do we lie every day? I did a quick internet search, so this is not scientific, but I think the idea is pretty good. We lie, we think, once or twice a day. We think. In reality, people lie on their resumes 31% of the time. I can agree with that because I've, I've encountered that. Patients stretch the truth about their symptoms to the doctor 32%. Patients lie about following the doctor's treatment plan 40%. People lie about their diet and exercise routines 30%. No, not this one, though. People who lie at least once during a 10-minute conversation 60%. And here's what's really fun. The average number of lies per day by men to their wife, boss, or colleagues, six times a day. Average number of lies per day by a woman to her husband, boss, or colleagues, 17. Okay, not true. Only three. Did you know you can lie with gestures? When somebody really does something that offends you and you do this, that's not really the truth. Or if you're having a rotten day and someone says, how's it going? Or how about this? It's Christmas time. 
you're walking into any different store, doesn't matter, and the bell ringer's there, and all the generous people are reaching deep into their pockets and dropping all the money in there, and you just gave something, and you're really tired of giving, so you do this fake money drop thing. God bless you. You too. When Judas Iscariot came with the Roman legions and Jesus was in the garden, he approached Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek. That was a traditional greeting for those who love each other. He was betraying Jesus. That kiss was a lie. In Ecclesiastes 3, one of my favorite chapters because it talks about all the different times in life. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Something missing here. Would think there would be a time to lie and a time to refrain from lying but I don't read it there. So what about this? You look marvelous today. Let me do that again. I don't want to make eye contact with anybody. You look marvelous today, even though you really don't. Or, no, I, I'm not mad at you. It's okay. Hey, do you mind if I cut in line? No, go ahead. It's been here 10 minutes in this stupid line. Now it's going to be 12. How about this one, ladies? This one's a little bit more fun. <clears throat> You're waiting for something to get taken care of around the house, and you want it to be done professionally. You don't want any problems afterwards. And your husband says, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. When he maybe doesn't, and then you hear the word oops. Or how about this? How you doing? Ah, great, great, good. When I was an apprentice, an apprentice in the tool and die industry, for weeks at a time sometimes we would have to go into this place called the grinding room. Now this is where you take raw pieces of steel, you put them on a precision grinding machine and you make them nice and shiny and smooth and perfect. But it's monotonous, it's dirty, it's not pleasant. Usually when you're doing that operation, you're in there for days or weeks. There was a godly man who worked in that company, his name was Mike. Every morning I walked in, he would say, how's it going, Rocky? I'd say, pretty good, Mike, pretty good, how about you? Oh, great, great. All right, and then we'd carry on our daily business. Next day, the same thing, same thing, over and over, day after day after day. And finally, I walked in. I said, How how's it going, Rocky? 
This is pretty good, Mike. Pretty good. How about you? Good, good, good. Get the machine going and think, this is kind of ridiculous. This is not the way it is. I walked back to Mike and I said, Mike, you know, we say this to each other every day. But do we really, do we really care what's going on in each other's life? He says, yes, I do. So for 10 minutes, I let him know what was going on in my life and how bad it had been for about three months. The next morning, I walked in, and from every morning after forever, I walked in, and Mike said, good morning, Rocky. Now, I told that to Mike years ago, and we both had a laugh about it. But it's true. From then on, we both just said good morning to each other. So it just illustrates the fact that sometimes it's really not the truth. You don't really want to hear what's going on in people's lives. Great man of God, though. Sarcasm. While I was preparing this sermon, I learned something about myself. Well, I didn't learn something about myself. I, it was just reemphasized. Webster says it's a sharp and ironic utterance designed to cut or give pain. It is the opposite of truth. That's my words. It may be intended as clever or witty, but still could be perceived negatively. If there's anything I know about or am an expert at, it is sarcasm. I really get a kick out of it, but other people don't. So, I've got to work on some things. Lies of silence, the unspoken lies. Have you ever sold something on eBay, the internet, or to your neighbors? Well, probably not to your neighbors, but somebody where you didn't really tell them the whole truth about it. Maybe something was wrong with it and you didn't really inform them. That silence can be a lie. Have you ever received a Rolex watch thinking it was genuine, but it was a counterfeit? Private joke with somebody up front in the front row. Now, don't, don't take it wrong. He's not sold anything, but there's, he's received things in the past that weren't quite legitimate. When I was about, I think I was about 10 years old, my dad and I, used to go shopping at night a lot. We were mall walkers before mall walking was cool. One night we went to Myers. Back then it was called Myers Thrifty Acres. Now it's just Myers. I don't know what we bought, but we waited in line, paid the money, started to walk out, and we got in that little breezeway with the uh, swinging doors or sliding doors, whatever it was. And Dad's looking at his hand here. And I thought, what's going on? He says, we got to go back in. Well, why, Dad? The cashier gave me too much money. <laughs> and what's wrong with that? He says, it's not honest. So we walked back in the store all the way back into the same line. And now we got to wait for like five people to give something back. But when he did, that girl was so happy because she probably had to make up that extra from her own paycheck. I never forgot that story. That was true, true Christian character. 
My dad, my dad was the example of that in front of me. Never forgot it. Tomorrow he's going to be 92. And he's sitting right there. I will briefly touch on plagiarism. It's when you take someone else's idea and either claim it for yourself or don't disclose the true author of that information. It's rampant on the internet. When I severed my Achilles tendon last year, I was desperate to find something that would help me recover quickly. And I went on the internet and almost every website I went to was an exact copy, word for word, of the other one I just left. If you want to write a website, you just pick anyone you want to be an expert at, copy and paste it into your own page. You're an instant expert. But the problem is, who actually wrote this stuff? You can't trace it back anymore because everybody's copied and pasted the same thing. The lies we tell ourselves. I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. There must be something wrong with me. If I just had enough money, oh, that would make everything great. Or if I could find the perfect girl, life would be awesome. I did. And she's not here right now, so I don't have to say that life is awesome, but it's, it's good. So that one did happen, but believe me, it's not likely to ever repeat itself again, so don't look for the perfect girl. How about this? I'm too old, and it's too late to start. Here I am, 60 years old, and I just applied for Bible college. Thank you. I am excited. I probably shouldn't say this, but I invited my boss today. I don't know if he's here, but I told him, now don't think I'm actually going to quit the job and go into being a pastor because I found out how much they make. A lot. And I don't know what I would ever do with all that kind of money. I'd rather be humble. I'm not qualified to do this. That one I had to work through last week because I had this thing all worked out. Last week when I came in, and I sat back there in my assigned seat, and I waited for Pastor Ben to come out and give his message, and I thought, well, I'd compare notes to see if I got this all right. And I went home, my head slumped down, and I just said to myself, boy, I got a lot of work to do yet. But while writing this, I began to doubt its value. Like, I'm not qualified to do this. I have too little information in this message. My information is so insignificant and shallow. And there's so much more to this topic, which there is. It's really deep. But none of that really matters. It doesn't matter if this is the perfect message or if I got everything covered. Because if I get one sentence, one thought, one word into your heart, God can take that and write a whole book on it.
Be careful of the lies that we tell ourselves because nothing is impossible with God. Body language. Let me just touch on this. Because when you want to tell if somebody's lying, you go and look at a site on body language, and quite often it says, when, I'm li- or when someone is lying to you, they'll look away. Or they'll look around the room. We have a tendency to look away when we're being deceptive. There is that natural tendency. But I will tell you, a crafty liar will stare you down. It's not a good sign. But there are many ways or many reasons why people don't look, make eye contact when they're speaking. Sometimes they feel that they are subordinate to you or they have a self-esteem issue. Sometimes it's they need to keep their train of thought. With me, I easily lose my train of thought when I make eye contact with people. I forgot what I was going to say. Or maybe they're just not listening. But what I want to say, get through, is that don't judge people just because they're not looking at you when they're talking. The results of lies in our current culture. As I mentioned with St. Patrick, and again, nothing against him, but larger-than-life reputations of historical figures, we want to really build people up and show the positives, but sometimes they get so big that it clouds the true history. Entertainers and the rich and famous who live luxurious, indulgent lives and hide what's really going on are enticing many to strive for that same, but actually it's an empty and hopeless existence. Athletes who rise to fame by artificial means and try to hide it, they encourage a generation of young people to do the same. Untrue Facebook posts, often just accepted as fact and gossiped, sometimes, oftentimes destroy relationships. Fake news, the most popular thing in the news right now, is spread by radio, television, and on the Internet, confuses society and the world as to what really is truth. Politicians who use their authority to abuse their power and cover it up, and then trust is lost in national leadership or in corporations. Religious extremists spread misinformation about differing races or beliefs, resulting in war, destruction, and even extermination. People who lie or withhold the truth to each other, and they risk losing those relationships. Famous lies in recent history, such as Lance Armstrong, the Tour de France champ, who used performance-enhancing drugs, tried to hide it, finally was found out. And he's been banned for life from that sport that he so loved. Tiger Woods had the perfect wife, the perfect life, two kids and more money than he knew what to do with, lived a lie, and lost it all. Millie Vanilli. It gets better. Millie Vanilli, a singing duo from Germany who won the Grammy in 1990. They forgot to do one thing, sing. They should have got the Academy Award for acting because they never sang even on their recordings. And when they were on stage, they were lip syncing, which might be okay, 
but it wasn't even their own voices. They were lip-syncing to. Obviously, they lost that. The monkeys from the 60s. Anybody dare remember the monkeys? I love those guys. But they never played their music. They sang and they acted like it, but they never played their music. But it wasn't their fault. Their managers just never let them. They always wanted to, but their managers never let them do it. So it's not a great example, but I just love the monkeys, so I thought I'd talk about them. Richard Nixon denied any personal involvement in Watergate, but the courts forced him to yield his tape recordings, which I am mystified why anybody would tape themselves when you heard some of those tapes. It turned out that he did try to divert the investigation, maybe more, but he resigned. Only president ever to have to resign. Bill Clinton, who on public national television said, I did not have you-know-what with you-know-who. And after that, from my life experience, was probably the greatest moral downfall in our country in, that, in my time. Hitler said this, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. His lie was about the Jewish people and other people, and it caused millions of the death of innocent life. And most recently, I just found this one out, the college admissions scandal. This is going to be a big one. Wealthy parents help their kids get into elite universities by cheating on the ACT and SAT college admissions. I'll let the news give you the details on that. So after listening to all this, you might wonder, does every word out of our mouth have to be 100% truth? That's difficult. Wasn't expecting that. A lie, understand this, a lie is untruth stated as truth in order to deceive. A lie is an untruth stated as truth in order to deceive. Now I give you the analogy of this. A medium who performs a seance and a magician who's entertaining. And I use that because I have a background, unfortunately, in both. The medium sets up the scene and uses deceit and trickery to make you think that you're speaking to a long-lost relative, the dead, perhaps, truly set up for deceit. The magician does somewhat the same, sets up the scene to trick you. But the magician tells you, I'm about to trick you, and you probably won't even know it. So while the medium does not disclose what they're actually doing and hope you believe it, the magician knows that you won't. The magician oftentimes even does it right in front of your eyes. It's called misdirection. They do sleight of hand while they've got your direction or your attention over here. And when you look back, the object has disappeared or appeared. Did Jesus lie? Because Jesus told parables that weren't always factual. But he disclosed that 
and he intended to in, instruct people. Jesus often started a parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would set up a scene to educate. Jesus certainly did not lie. But here's the bottom line. It's a matter of the heart. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you'll know what's right or wrong. And this is where we need to be quick to listen, slow to respond, to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. But I would emphasize, in this case, perhaps, quick to listen, So if you're led by the Spirit, listen. God will speak to your heart. He'll let you know that what you're about to say perhaps should be just kept to yourself. Now, if you're not led by the Spirit, you have an even bigger matter of the heart to take care of. So what do we do about lying? Again, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Or don't speak. But here is the best action to take if you find you have passed on a mistruth and perhaps even deceived or hurt someone. Confess it. And you first of all, you confess it to God. That's a no-brainer because he already knows. Second, you confess it to those you have offended. And third, you confess it to those who were witnesses to that offense. It's really not enough to go to the person and say, you know, I'm really sorry I said that it wasn't true. I hope you forgive me and walk away. When you committed that act or that information got passed on to a whole group of people who heard it, the right action is to confess to that person in that group so that everyone knows that was not true about them. I lied. It's my fault, and I apologize. Five to ten years ago, I suppose it was, my dad informed me that Reverend Dornboss had an inoperable condition, and he wasn't going to live long. When he said that, I immediately went back in my mind to that church door when I opened it up and saw him standing there. From that day on, I always wished I had an opportunity, or at least in my adult life, to go back to him and re-account for that story and make it right. But it wouldn't be so because he passed away soon after that. But from that point on, I committed myself that when I find I've wronged somebody, I've spoke a mistruth, deceived them, I do my best to go back and make it right. That seems like such a shallow, insignificant story. But for some reason, God really made it significant to me because it comes back again and again and again. Maybe that story is just for me. Or maybe that story hits home with you. Truth is, 
I didn't. I didn't have to do a lot of research because much of this came from my own life. And maybe some of these, <clears throat> some of these examples are familiar to you too. So what do we do about lying? As I said before, confession is the first thing you do. But I have an analogy that you've probably already heard. Our words are like toothpaste from a toothpaste tube. When you squeeze out toothpaste, you can never put it back in. Those words are out there. But years ago when we had a cat, walked into the bathroom, and the cat had unrolled half of the toilet paper roll in a big wad on the floor. <laughs> well, I rolled it back up as best I could. But it was in a big wad of mess. You could still use it, but it didn't look too good. You may not be able to put those words back in the toothpaste tube, but by confessing, you may be able to roll the paper back onto the roll. It'll look rough and messy for a while, but eventually you get back to the good stuff. We cannot right all the wrongs we commit. But when we've obviously hurt somebody, or we've deceived them, or God just tugs on our heart and says, you need to make it right, that would be a good opportunity to do it. I opened this sermon with a question. When was the last time you told a lie? And I close it with one even greater than that. The next time you lie, what will you do about it? this week, what is it for you in regards to our lies? We all do it. The next time you lie, what are you going to do? That, the, the question, as it sinks in, I pray that it'll, uh, it'll help us, that maybe we'll be able to remember on our wrist before we say the lie, or when we do, Holy Spirit will prompt us and say, ah, I'm, I messed up again. I love that. Quick to listen, slow to speak, or maybe don't speak at all if it's going to be a lie. So many good things here. 
that last illustration about the toothpaste is interesting to me. When I was a kid's pastor, I used to use that illustration to talk about God's love. That God's love is like toothpaste. Once he poured it out, he doesn't take it back. He can't take it back. You can't put toothpaste back in a toothpaste container, right? And I want to close. I know that these sermons uh, in this series have not been salvation-type sermons necessarily. But when you think about God's love that's been poured out, it's been squeezed out, so to speak, it's so great. And this morning, if you need to receive that, like Cindy did and her sister, and uh, where's Will and Randy, how these three, they found Christ, they accepted Jesus, lives were changed. This morning before we leave, we want to throw out the net, so to speak, and say, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, we want to give you that opportunity. Is there anyone here this morning that's saying, yep, that's me, stirring inside me, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins? Just slip up your hand where you where you are. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all, that's where you are. Just make sure I can catch your eye. goal, and you can help us in this, is that every week there will be people that are surrendering their hearts to Jesus. And that means we have work to do to bring our guests and, and different things for sure. Absolutely. This series has given us a lot to think about, hasn't it? It's given us a lot of homework. I said last week that what happens in the 35, 40 minutes during the sermon is only the beginning. The work begins when we leave these wall, these four walls and when we walk out these doors. And this week, we've got some more work to do in regards to our big mouths. And so let's help, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us in that. Let's do that. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your strength and your power. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have done a great work in us. Lord, for those of us that are Christ followers, help us, Lord, to remember to be truthful in everything we say. Our words matter. And now as we leave today, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Bring us back again to conclude the series next week. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Why don't you turn and greet someone and go in the grace of God. We love you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.